0: This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. You know the power of the kitchen. I know the power of the kitchen. Uh, Children who have not been exposed to cooking, who don't know the skills, who are interested because it's a self-selecting group that eventually come to us for these multi-week programs. And it just changes lives. It's, It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen.
1: Liz Newmark is the creator and owner of Great Performances, the largest independent female-owned catering company in America. Yet, Liz's heart is most deeply involved in the mission of nourishing the world, one child at a time, and strengthening communities through food activism and education. Liz has taught thousands of school children about the goodness of agriculture, her gardens, and where food comes from. She was named one of the most powerful women in New York by Crane's Business, and celebrates the 40th anniversary of great performances this year. From feeding her chickens freshly popped corn to, quote, growing lasagna on her farm, she has truly innovative ideas about life. And this is her story. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves, each of us in our own way, is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Liz Newmark, it is such a thrill to have you in my kitchen today. We have known each other for so many years, and I have watched your career soar. But more than sore, I've watched it deepen in a way that is so beautiful and um, life-changing, I think, for you, certainly, but also for so many other people. And you are a trendsetter, a futurist, a mm-hmm. philanthropist, and everything you do is about food, hospitality, and sustainability. Welcome. Thank you. It's
0: a pleasure <laughs> to be here, and it's really great to see you. And I'm trying to think how many decades we go back.
1: Well, I can tell you because I've been doing a little sleuthing and, you know, obviously reading all about you online and elsewhere. And it says that you started your catering company in 1980. But Liz, I know differently. And I'm going to remind you how I know. We met each other in 1978 when I was the chef at Gracie Mansion. And I called you. Because I needed some staff for one of the parties we were doing. And um, I don't know exactly how I found you, but you had a company called Great Performances in 1978. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I know everything you do is very much about women and entrepreneurial stuff. And Great Performances was very much in the spirit of women and helping women in the arts deep in their lives and make some extra money. But I believe in 1978, you were just getting started. And you might have even, even have had some men waiters. I'm trying to think of like the first party I did at Gracie Mansion. Uh, but you were part of it. So that's how far back we go. <laughs> D- did you leave Gracie? What year did you leave Gracie? I was there for all of or most of 1978. I got hired at the end of 77, and then Ed Koch moved into Gracie Mansion in January 1978, and so did I. And, the, you know, I was hired as the chef, and uh, I was very young, and you were very young. You were even younger. But yeah, we had a strange. tiny, tiny staff, so I was right. cooking. And then if there was a party for 100 or 200 people, we didn't have anyone to serve or help, or, and I called you. So uh, you know, I don't
0: want to start our conversation disputing any facts. <laughs> Why not? But we'll put, we'll park seventy eight somewhere else. Okay, um, we'll go for the record nineteen eighty because we're just going to start our kickoff, fortieth anniversary, which has I've been working up to that for a long time to say that I've been at this for forty years, um, because I am perennially thirty eight years old, so that's impossible, <laughs> um, but. It it's and you know, it's so interesting because I never think of it as a uh you know, careers like someone who goes to work and it's it's I always think of uh, great performances
1: or G P as we call it. You know, as my first child. Did you have any idea at all that this was even a career path for you or this the food world was even a place that yeah. you knew about or even heard about, it, it, food was was really.
0: I mean, I grew up in a in a traditional Jewish New York family, uh, third generation Manhattanite, and food was. Uh, Crazily enough, just incidental. It was really around gathering and conversation and, and being around the table, uh, and and oh yeah, there was food, but <laughs> no one, no one. It, it was sort of atypical for my background. There was no real emphasis on eat, mm. you know, eat, <laughs> eat, eat. Um, no food pushers, and it really wasn't about. Uh, my mother couldn't cook. Uh, my grandmother, one of my grandmas, had a cook, and my other grandma, she, she, yeah, she had an influence. She was a little Russian granny, and <laughs> and she cooked, but very like maybe three dishes, mm. and
1: uh, never threw anything out. Right. So this was uh, incidental. It was about being together with the family, but it really wasn't about food. No, and, and I think every Saturday,
0: uh, every Sabbath meal, we were at my grandparents', and it was always. The same
1: meal. So, if you weren't talking about the food, what would you talk about as a family? Were you very political or cultural?
0: I think it was more about activism. Uh, It was about it was always um, about uh, a family of doers. uh, A family, half the family were uh, lawyers, and the other half were entrepreneurs.
1: So, any smells? Any dishes? Is there is there a recipe? Is there something that connects you to the your family table? So, again, I look at uh, both
0: sides of uh, both grannies, yes, yeah. and 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 not my mom who um,
1: Never learned cooked. how to cook
0: mm-hmm. after the four of us moved out of the house. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, <laughs> kind of crazy. And we had household help growing up, um, and the food was was really sort of. I always say I never knew there was a difference between uh, white meat and dark meat on a chicken. You were just <laughs> grateful to have a fresh chicken.
1: Um, oh, this is so funny because I have never really been gifted with this before. But just as you entered the uh, kitchen today, you gave me a dozen eggs that your chickens just laid. And we were looking at the gorgeous color. They look like they're copper colored. This, These eggs come from your chickens on your farm up in Columbia County, Kachki Farms, right? It's 250-acre organic farm that you started so many years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So there are Who would chickens, have believed that would happen, right? Right, but these chickens. Live at my house,
0: your house. I have I have a flock. <laughs> so we have a house five miles from the farm. Ah, and uh, there's a small flock on the farm, mostly for the children's program. But ever since we bought this house about five six years ago, it it had this large coop out back. And uh, what do you put in a coop? Uh, Chickens. And I've never raised a flock before. I We've always had animals at home. I mean, pets for my children. <laughs> and having chickens, uh, I mean, it's kind of funny when I talk about them because I make them popcorn. I buy them fresh corn because they love corn. Uh, my earlier flock, would you know, we'd have pizza parties. They For the chickens? Yep. All right. And then <laughs> um, the. I don't know if I'm coming up on a Saturday morning, the... GP truck will drop off a cooler full of delicious compost, and I uh, bring the bags up and feed them to the chickens. So well, they, they they really eat well, and you, they
1: appreciate it oh, oh, clearly. And I can't wait to eat these eggs. So we already have so many topic sentences. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, so clearly, food was not a big part of your uh, growing up, and um, I'm not really getting a sense of you know matzo ball soup and smells and it was it was something else. It was um, a, a necessity. So there was no really romance for you around food. There were a few things.
0: Mm-hmm. One, of uh, Grandma Kramer, as we called her, <laughs> she made amazing gefilte fish. Really? And I know it's the kind of thing you either love it or hate it. It's I call it Jewish soul food. But it was almost like a canal. I mean, it was light. It was fluffy. I don't know if anybody in the Kramer family has that recipe, but that was that was a work of art. And I think that was the only thing that either she supervised or maybe made herself. And everything else uh, – you know, what, what was it? There was like the – Sweet potato with Kellogg flakes with the thumbprint <laughs> with jelly in the middle. But nothing – I mean, we, I never had a brisket growing up. Really? We had no – I mean, you think of traditional um, Eastern European Jewish right. food. No, nothing.
1: So uh, interesting. So so Liz, as a young girl then, what did you dream about? What kind of – how did you see your life unfolding? What did you want to study? I, who was important to you, role models. Who were you as a little girl?
0: Well, you know what? I was a middle child in a very busy household, and I think more than anything else, I just wanted to be independent. <laughs> That's <laughs> so a big role. Like, That's fantastic. Just, just I just <laughs> want to be alone. Um, but I loved I, I from a very early age, I babysat. Uh I loved nurturing mm. I had plants. I for a long time I wanted to be a horticulturist. Um, I loved reading. I, I have a bunch of siblings. I adored my little sister. Uh, my big one, who might be listening, I love you too, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> but you were part of the pack with my older brother. Um, so your family of four. And mm. and it was uh, I you know just just loving the sights and the sounds of the city. I really grew up. Loving New York and from an early age, uh my mom who obviously never worried about anything, uh this <laughs> atypical New York Jewish mom, you know, fine, you know, you're gone, come back at the end of the day. And I would get on the uh number ten bus and take it all the way down to thirty-fourth street mm. and walk up Fifth Avenue and I'd go into Dennison's and Woolworths and Shrapps. I'd just sort of meander around and just be Fascinated by the city. Would you ever buy yourself something to eat and sit at a counter? Oh, like a chock cronut? full of nuts. You did. You know, yeah. what's it, that great? <laughs> they had great, great tuna fish and the uh, cream cheese and date nut uh, bread. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So these are wonderful memories, and I'm connecting to. But to backtrack to what GP or Great Performances is, um, because it's, it's huge. And every step that you took really, I think, was prescient. Um, it really foreshadowed something important that was happening in the food world or in the catering world or the hospitality world. So I think the reason I asked so much about who you were as a child is that you have a, a great imagination. I mean, a lot of your ideas and realities came from some very creative spirit and some can-do spirit. So whether it was 1978 or 1980, what was your vision for Great Performances? Well, it was really a means
0: to an end and, in a way, a great little failure because at that point I really wanted to be – I was pursuing a career as a photographer and, um, you know, just love New York and and, and that freedom and I would spend my time wandering the streets uh, taking photos and to make ends meet. I really didn't want to – take the restaurant route, which was the couch audition and just a male-dominated, inflexible world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had this model from uh, this brief job I had placing office temps of working on a temporary basis. Uh, And there was no one hiring women like that. There was one company called Lend-A-Hand, but nobody wanted to hire women. So the idea was – We'll start a little waitress service for women in the arts. We'll call it Great Performances, Artists as Waitresses, which is still our corporate name today. And we'll just hire women and we'll have flexible work. Fantastic. And then I would become, you know, the next Annie Leibovitz or or something and I'd be done.
1: And... What failed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you failed. I failed. Right, you I failed, failed at that dream, Annie Lee Woods. and then created something else amazing. And and
0: uh, in the after the first year, we integrated and brought in boys, and then the second <laughs> year, uh, some of our hosts and hostesses asked for food, so we said, you know, we we didn't know the word no, uh, so we said yes, and two years later, we built our first kitchen.
1: And where was the first one? The first one was 125 Crosby Street, uh, just south of Houston. And you would uh, cater for individual people in their homes or parties or corporate? Like, what were some of your first gigs? Homes,
0: offices. And I I will say, really interesting, uh, you know, one of our core values was being supportive of women and, of course, diversity. And to build that first kitchen, I mean, we had no money. Mm, and it was that was going
1: to be a question. <laughs> uh,
0: well, there was the First Women's Bank on the corner of 57th and Park. And there was this great network of New York women who, uh, I guess, Sarah Kovner, who is still a leading voice and a force in New York City, uh, directed me to them. I got a $25,000 loan, which felt like, oh my. you know, a million. Yeah. I don't think I signed my life away or my non-existent assets. I had no husband, father. I have a father, but nobody to co-sign. And we built it with $25,000. It was 1,500 square feet. So
1: something your mother did for you really enabled you to do that. I mean, that's really (laughs) fearless. And you really just went ahead and... I never thought being a a woman, a female,
0: was a, a disadvantage or... You never there really came n- across that. I, I, I always thought I'm better because I'm female. I thought oh, wow. the, I believed in the natural superiority of women ever since the get go. I mean, I was surrounded <laughs> by my sisters. I had these wonderful grandmothers. Uh, I had an independent mother. And I just thought, you know, and, and I was a very, very rebellious. I forgot about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was I was a big rebel.
1: I didn't grow up that way, and I didn't grow up feeling that way, and um, I'm loving hearing this. Uh, very powerful. So you failed and <laughs> built an empire. Um, so did you hire a chef right away, and, and what what were some of the, what was the uh, sort of tagline of great performances? I think you mentioned it about empowering women: Well, or? you, know, we had these core values. Yes, so uh, the first chef we had was
0: a woman who worked with us from the very beginning. I still think, even though we we built this kitchen and borrowed all this money, there was still no uh, roadmap or or business plan. The way I would advise someone to do today, it was okay. You know, let's see what happens. This 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 feels good. It's it's it's. It was really – sometimes ignorance
1: is bliss. I'm sure that's true. It was great. I don't know if it's ignorance is bliss, but when you you don't exactly know what you're doing, you, I think, do take some risks um, and they can be very fruitful. I love what you said about it's not the way you would advise someone today and the world is so different, right, in terms of financially, economically – uh, what women are capable of doing and how they see themselves today. So when we come back after the break, I definitely want you to share some of your wisdom with us about how one might get started. Is Has night... Here's a cooking tip to share, inspired by my guest, Liz Newmark. Liz talks about a vegetable lasagna that she's famous for. And it's filled with vegetables from the garden and can be made any time of the year. But what I love, especially about her recipe, is her cheese filling. She makes it with three pounds of ricotta cheese, fresh if possible, three quarters of a cup of grated pecorino romano, three large eggs, a bunch of flat-leaf parsley chopped, a bunch of basil cut into little slivers, and some fresh thyme. It's a wonderful way to layer the vegetables. You can see the full recipe for her lasagna in her wonderful book, Sylvia's Table, and you can also find it online. Give it a try and pass it along. Liz, early in the show, I kind of ID'd you as a trendsetter, futurist, philanthropist, I'm a little curious how you ID yourself, and probably every decade this might change, but what about today? Like, how do you like to describe yourself, and how do you, because you wear so many hats? Well, that's a really interesting
0: question. Um, Hmm. Well, no question that um, I'm an entrepreneur, and I thrive on building things. the world is changing so quickly the landscape that we operate in and it 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 took a little bit of time for this new world wave to to hit our industry but it's it's here so um, learning and Continuing to figure out how to grow and nurture this business under in, in this new landscape is is an amazing challenge um, when I think of what I do what I want to be when I grow up <laughs> um, it it's really sort of simple it comes back to a, a real core value and uh, at the end of the day, I want to help make this world a better place and i sometimes i can do it through the events that we cater for people who are doing good in the world and sometimes it's just a uh, you know catering to just very privileged good people for mm-hmm. the sake of, of of eating but having a strong company gives us a platform mm-hmm. to talk about the issues we care about And to get involved uh, from a philanthropic perspective, from an energy perspective, from a
1: moral perspective on things that are important. You have said that your success comes down to something really simple, but it's about identifying and satisfying the needs of others. Mm. And I love that. I may be paraphrasing a little bit, but that was so um, powerful. And when I said that you have so deepened your work, that's really what I was kind of getting to. So you have this organic farm, which supplies, I guess, a lot of amazing fruits and vegetables to some of your catering businesses. But you also have this Sylvia Center, which I know everyone will want to hear more about. And you also... Run the cafes and restaurants at very important cultural institutions all over America, I think. I mean, predominantly no, no, New, York. Just New York. New York, New York. Just New York. Okay, we'll stick with New York. Um, I wish America were New York. But <laughs> and um, so you have multi layered, you're like a Napoleon or maybe more like a pie. I don't know quite how you see all your businesses, but tell us a little bit about the Sylvia Center children, and then some of your activism, because okay. um, I know how important feeding the hungry is, is to you.
0: So when I think about my life, I think about my for-profit life, which is great performances, and uh, and all we do in our wonderful partners, which are uh, mostly cultural institutions. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've started working with uh, institution, for example, Rockefeller University, where we feed everybody every day, wow. which is cultural in a way but not really a cultural institution and not not a corporation, and a few other very interesting accounts so th- there 's my for profit life. Uh, there is my nonprofit life, which I always am happy to lead with, with talking about the Sylvia Center, but I'm also on the board of Grow NYC, which I adore and brings us all our, our green markets and so much more as an organization. Uh, I've been on the board of the Fund for Public Housing and really thinking about uh, one in 14 New Yorkers who live in public housing and mm. the sustainability of our city and the diversity. Um and then a bunch of other things. Our our, our old business uh, district downtown where we were at before we moved to the Bronx in Hudson Square, helping build that. So very very robust life in the nonprofit world. And then I like to say, there's the anti-profit world of of agriculture. Uh-
1: <laughs> <laughs> you mean like it's hard to it takes a lot of money to grow a tomato? Oh my god! You no know, <laughs> one chicken? ever no one ever went
0: into agriculture. Uh, to make money. It is it it is purely a passion.
1: What do you think about people's comments more recently than ever about um, the produce in some of the farmer's markets being so expensive? Are you hearing that more and more? I seem to be.
0: You know, I I don't. And, and it's interesting because there really is a range. There are uh, small-scale farmers. And I get why it's expensive, because labor. It's It's not the cost of the seeds. It might be the cost of the land for some people. But just the way uh, in catering and food service hospitality, with the minimum wage, which is totally, uh, you know, we all support
1: that. With, uh, but it's $15. made a big, very big difference, hasn't it, in people's and bottom And mandated
0: benefits—it's—it's it's really uh, a whole separate discussion. It's very, very expensive. Yes. Um, and with climate change and the impact on agriculture. It it is wreaking havoc on on small farms, on mid sized farms, and I think even the large scale farms. So I
1: get it. Well, I think if people really value farmers and farmers markets and, you know, brag that they have one up the block, uh, they just need to support it and buy tomatoes uh, and produce. Right. That and is you a can't bit buy them year expensive. round. So but
0: actually I saw a lot of um well priced tomatoes this year. I mean, you can go somewhere. Hey, look, you can find a dozen eggs at $12 a dozen. That
1: is crazy. You know, that's a very good point, too. Even, you see, I guess. It depends where you shop, even when it comes to farmer's markets. So I think maybe that's just a new reality. Yeah. Yeah. So, Liz, so I think what strikes me so much when I hear about all of these uh, pieces of your business is, is that do you wake up in the middle of the night and just come up with these ideas for what's next? And I think I'll buy a farm and I think I'll become a farmer and I think I'll do, I want to feed and uh, educate children, teach them how to cook. That is a very big part of the Sylvia Center, isn't it? It's Teaching the, the the mission
0: of the Sylvia Center is really to impact and improve lives of children, uh, healthful outcomes, amazing possibilities that all start in the kitchen. And you know the power of the kitchen. I know the power (laughs) of the kitchen. Uh, Children who have not been exposed to cooking, who don't know the skills, who are interested because it's a self-selecting group that eventually come to us for these multi-week programs. And it just changes lives. It's, It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen.
1: And you were really one of the first to do it. I know there are other organizations now doing this, but right. it's many years. It's thirteen, fourteen years that you started the Sylvia Center and identifying, finding the children and teaching them. Well, we partner. Them the, we partner, partner with.
0: We get our kids after school. So it started upstate. That was the the goal of of having a farm. Why have a farm? Uh, you know, how does how does a a kid from from the west side of of Manhattan end up? having uh this beautiful farm upstate. And it, it it's funny, my dad always said, Yeah, let's get a farm because he had this, you know, these immigrant parents who are closer to the land. And for years he would tell me, Let's get a farm, let's get a farm. When I finally came home, I said, Dad, we bought the farm and I told him how big <laughs> it was. he said, I just meant like an acre or two. <laughs> it's <was> like, <laughs> Dad, you never told me that.
1: <laughs> but oh, I'm um, sure he was very proud. <laughs> he
0: he he loves it. And the, the purpose of the farm was to be home to the Sylvia Center, to be, to be a, a mission-driven farm. So to connect our chefs to food and where it comes from and that, that, that real sense of seasonality that you have when you're growing it yourself and, and the, just the miracle of it. And to have a place where kids would come, plant,
1: harvest, and cook. Well, I love the word miracle, and I think you're a bit of a miracle worker yourself. (laughs) Um, If I were to ask you if you had a solution to the hunger issues in New York and elsewhere, um, do you have some, since you're such a creative miracle worker, do you have Uh. some ideas about what can actually be done?
0: And that's a really serious and, and, and deep question and so multifaceted because there's so many uh, pools of different hungry people. There's the city meals, elderly shut-ins who have uh, need access to food. There are the homeless. There are levels within the homeless. There are people down the block. There are college students who are hungry, mm-hmm. who are getting food stamps. Um, so Hunger is a a really giant bucket, and the irony when we talk about hunger, we talk about hunger and obesity as being these odd be- bedfellows. Mm. So mm. it's 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 not only being hungry, but it's access to the right kind of food and and healthy food. So no, this way above my pay grade, (laughs) Uh, you know, what we like to do is, is we like to say that uh, things should, uh, this is my grandma, uh, you know, my grandma Nellie on my shoulder, never throwing anything out because we believe in food rescue, uh, We grow a certain percent of everything that we grow. We send to local pantries. Uh, You know, it gets into
1: food waste. It gets into how we're cooking. Uh, But again, you're really a thought leader here because I know you are mindful about all of these things. And one of the first to really um, address it within your own little microcosm.
0: Um, and we try. And, and we have some chefs who also, you know, they remember their mothers and grandmothers. And we, you know, it's so interesting because Dan Barber's really a great leader and a great voice. And when he Stone did mm-hmm. Wasted, and I took my family to the dinner, and it was interesting to to hear their comments afterwards and at at great performances we also try to utilize all the 100% utilization of food but but what do you call it you don't say i'm serving you my garbage <laughs> you don't say i'm <laughs> serving you my scraps so we called it tradition oh that's wonderful because in tradition <laughs> and not that long ago people didn't throw out the trimmings and and even even vegetable trimmings and i had to tell you our chefs came up with the most Magnificent demi that they make from vegetables, and they cook and it's it traditionally
1: de- made from veal yes. bones. Yes, and they're making it from vegetables. It
0: is unbelievable, and it is so rich. Uh, so. You know, and everybody's so excited about it because it's 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 meaningful and it's delicious. Because we always, in, in my business, uh, we don't lead with our morals and our mission; we lead with delicious, with delicious.
1: <laughs> I think maybe that is a, another secret of your success. So, Liz, I love reading menus, as you know, and I think you do too. But you know, there's nothing like a great story, and I think that menus tell great stories, and I always love reading your, your menus, whether it's at May, which is a cafe that you actually run, or at any of the restaurants that you have created, uh, again, Jazz at Lincoln Center, and um, Right and, at the Norm at uh, Brooklyn and, Museum. Right, so many of the, of the museums. Are you very involved at this point, or any more with, like, menu creation or menu language? Do you work with your chefs? Um, I don't know how much you can do in one day, but I, I think that was always kind of a love of yours. So, do you still get to do a little of that? I get to do a little of it, and I am so
0: glad. And we're 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 stronger as a company because we have a Great roster of chefs who know way more about food than I will ever know. How many chefs do you actually have working for you? That, you know, it's I, 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 not... I don't have the, the right number, no. but we have big talented people. <laughs> no, no, we'll get to the word big because um, we're little, we're little, we're small. Um, a lot of women, a lot that of that was women. always a mandate. You know, yours. We, we really uh, we always try to. Look at gender balance, and it is hard in the kitchen and I'd mm. say in the culinary world there's still i think women still have a long way to go i agree uh, and that's something that we think about constantly but I think when it comes to menu direction you know we talk on a on a conceptual level mm-hmm. um and there are some things that I do bring into the kitchen uh, I don't know how many clients actually end up getting them but you know I'm crazy <laughs> about fermentation and <laughs> preservation. Oh yeah, you um, do a lot of that. Oh, that's my therapy in the middle of the night and it it's really um, I'm so glad the season is ending because I will not be able to bring home another box of tomatoes or peaches from my friend, and 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 think about how I'm going to put them up for the winter.
1: Now I know that Catchy Farms has a, a, a wonderful kind of repertoire of ingredients that or foods that you make ketchups and jams and pickled okra and and uh, I mean I buy all of them I love them, yeah. but you're talking okay. about your therapy and canning and fermentation at home at home. Yep. But look how ahead you are with that too. That's what all the great Chefs are doing, not just in their restaurants, but at home. This is their therapy, too. It is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's
0: really – it's interesting. Yeah, and, it, and it is therapeutic because you really don't have to talk. You put on a good
1: podcast. <laughs> you could know, listen to something in the background.
0: And you just get so lost. Oh, it's wonderful. It is wonderful.
1: Liz, when we come back, we definitely want to hear about your wisdom for young women in particular who want to um, get into this business, maybe also hear about a legacy recipe. Uh, I don't even know if you really love to cook yourself, so I'll, I'll want to hear that too when we come back.
0: And the key to the garden, the design, is
1: reached by a road. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold. And check out everything I'm up to on my website at rosangold.com. There are all kinds of recipes, aren't there, Liz? There's like recipe for living. There's recipes for food. So let's hear about your recipe for a dish.
0: Okay. So I cook at home. I, you know, I raise uh, my children, (laughs) four children. And, um... They had home cooked meals, for the most part, <laughs> and uh, while you were growing your business too. Well, of course, yeah, you because were, you, they, were they, you know what they—they they always came first. And uh, and and the nice thing about our business is—is is it was very top of mind for me from the get go. Is to make it easy for women with children to find mm. balance mm. because at the end of the day the mother of the bride might think it's an emergency but I know it's probably not
1: <laughs> okay so you're referring to the, all of the weddings and things that you cater and just you, just, you and-
0: know managing your time and, yes. and priorities but one of as as uh, the recipe I really have fun with now is people ask me what we grow at Kotchke Farm and I tell them that we grow lasagna <laughs> So the recipe that I have a lot of fun with is making a vegetable lasagna. And it helps me remember what's growing because I go through the rows. And it is tomatoes, spinach or kale, onions, garlic, peppers, zucchini, eggplant. Wow. And whatever else might be really interesting. And all that goes into my lasagna. And that's one of the recipes that... You know, you can sort of riff off. I am not a baker. Precision cooking is really not for me. So I just, I just love to lead with my la- my lasagna now.
1: That's wonderful. Is there an actual recipe for it?
0: The recipe's in my book, Sylvia's Table. Mm. Such which, a beautiful uh, book. Yeah, important you book played a, a role in, and um, and I, I it, you know, it's there's a verbal recipe, but there's also a picture recipe. Yeah, because it's just about the that. layers.
1: Yeah. And is it something that bakes like for three hours at 250 degrees or something?
0: No, that would be the brisket that I finally (laughs) learned how to make. I want to hear about that too. Um, Well, that's, you know, and and I actually, I'm a limited pescatarian Mm -hmm. for the last 12 years. So I do cook meat, I don't eat it. And Uh. somewhere in the last several years, for some reason, I felt I had to learn how to make a brisket. And I did. And I can tell oh, when it's right. a good one and when it's a bad one, but I don't I, I don't eat it. Funny.
1: Um, but the lasagna I do eat. That's a wonderful, wonderful recipe. And and Liz, what about a recipe for uh, success in business and some of the wisdom, some of the what you might tell a younger person who wants to either create a catering business or do not profit work or I think today so many young people are interested in social activism. And you are on many boards that really deal with this directly. So, how does one even get started? So, I think one of
0: the the ingredients to this <laughs> recipe, uh, you have to really—I I mean, for me at least—is is really feeling passionate because whatever it is that you're building and growing is hard work, and it's collaborative work. Mm. And can't bring a. You have to have that right balance between ego and believing in yourself, and being open and knowing that you're going to make mistakes. And one of the things that we did when we started GP is we kept a, a mistake list. Really? Yeah, because and I always tell new people coming in, "Hey, you can make mistakes. Don't make the same one over and over. <laughs> but if you're if you're making mistakes and you're learning." Mm-hmm it's not a mistake it's 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 a really positive thing uh so having uh enough maturity to navigate working collaboratively um being able to know what it is that you want to get to um and and applying yourself. Now it's also important, and I think what was critical for us is we had wonderful support and guidance. So I had a, a great lawyer, I had a, a, a fabulous accountant, and my idea of uh, you know some people did a spa day, I would treat myself to an hour with each of them, <laughs> and and I would just come out nourished and and uh-huh. and, and just redefining direction. Um and mm. and and improving how I operated because it's it's hard it's a it's a very competitive environment for us and I always feel that you know people say oh do you look back do you feel so good I said no you know I I I don't feel bad I feel great about where we're at but it's all about tomorrow it's all about thinking about how to how to stay fresh how to innovate how to inspire. Because not only am I thinking about clients or would, would someone need to think about clients, but you have to think about your, your, your colleagues, your, your internal clients. So there's, mm. a lot of, there's a lot of 360 thinking that has to go on. You know, yeah. And I don't think we talk enough about excellence mm. and the need to really be excellent. And when I talked to someone new on, on the team that I'm working with, I said, you know what? You have to go around something and then you go around again and again and again because it's all about the details. It's all about precision. It's all about really making sure you are as as good as it possibly can be.
1: What is really coming through to me, this is really so beautiful, is that you run a company, 50 million plus, that's all about food. And we've hardly mentioned anything about food this whole time because it's about something much deeper. It's about nourishment. It's about people. It's about giving back. It's about feeding the planet. It's about feeding each other. It's about connection. You know, I'm just so grateful to hear you say all of these things and I happen to know because I just read, you didn't tell me, but I found out that you were guest um, the guest speaker. You were invited to speak at the Culinary Institute of America very recently to one of their graduating classes. Right. <laughs> and I would like to know what you said. What did you tell them? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd like to remember. Um, I, you know, I, I think I, I shared uh, some insights from my experience and Talked about the things you know we've been talking about today. I think what's what's really important for this new generation coming up is about giving back, and I, you know, and we know, and you know, if anyone knows, it's you that 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 giving is is really getting. Mm. Um, Shh, <laughs> that's a secret. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that these kids, you know, they come through these incredible institutions where it is all about food, and food is super, super important, right? But it doesn't stop there. And having the tool of knowing how to cook, of the blessing of the riches of the table, and not finding the way to share it, and each individual can share it in a different way. But without that, it's a it's a it's a life half lived. It's a cup half full, mm. um, and and there's there's not enough meaning. And it just it's just really important. And I, I didn't think that was the crux of, of of what I wanted to share with them. I'm sure they were very inspired.
1: And the flip side of this, you have catered some of the most important parties in New York over the last forty years for the richest people, the biggest celebrities, um, was. Any outstanding to you? Was something really meaningful or something changed the way you saw the world? You
0: know, it's interesting. One of the, the sort of most politically star-studded was a long time ago. Uh, it was the UN50, and all the heads of state were gathered in the World Financial Center for dinner my <laughs> And each table they had, you might have a prince, a king, a prime <laughs> minister, and there was so much fuss about everybody being served simultaneously. And, and we had a million backup dishes because everybody had uh, different sort of food requirements and restrictions. And at the end, it was just a great party. People who weren't supposed to drink drank plenty of alcohol, (laughs) ate their meat, uh, and no one really got huffy that – if they weren't served the same moment as as someone else, <laughs> um, and it was a few days before the assassination of uh, Yitzhak Rabin, mm. uh, and he was there, and I was talking to him. Uh, oh well, Liz. yeah. So that 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 was interesting, mm. uh, and it was it was a moment in New York pre nine eleven, so it wasn't you know sort of the crazy way it would be. Uh, it was it was a great moment. But throughout the presidential campaigns, we try to check off that we've have fed every candidate and we get to hear them. And, and that's kind of interesting. Or there was a very intimate lunch uh, that Barack Obama came to mm. for the nine eleven families. Very, very small. And they didn't want any help left after we delivered the lunch. I said, oh, no, I have to be there. And I and I stayed in the room. Um, and it
1: was just you know, these, these little private moments, big moments, little moments. Mm, so beautiful. Is there anyone left in the world that you haven't cooked for yet and would love to plan a party for, big or small? I probably have a very long wish list. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool to be with you, really thinking about the last 40-something years in this industry, how the world has changed for women, and how this is such a big year for women. I think we're all feeling very excited and jazzed and and connected and something feels important. One question I ask all my guests is, what does One Woman Kitchen mean to you?
0: So I try to think of the women or the woman who inspired me in the work I do when I think of One Woman Kitchen. And I went back and Thought of this whole trajectory in catering, which is so absent women. Uh, And I started remembering Sheila Lukens, who was one of my first clients when just for the waitress service, because she was running with Julie, uh, Silver Palette. So thinking about, and and she really, talk about impact, I think she left an incredible legacy. Um, One Woman Kitchen, I think, speaks to the notion that one woman can make a powerful difference. Um, And that's something that, I, I mean, knowing you, because you've been very lavish with what with, with you say about me, but I can say it right back to you, Roseanne, uh, the, the things that are important and knowing what's important. And maybe One Woman in the Kitchen is really about knowing that one ingredient that really matters in our life so that it's about food, but it's really about everything around food. Um, so Beautiful. One Woman.
1: And um, your legacy. We talked about a legacy recipe, vegetable lasagna uh, from Catchkey Farms. But what
0: would you like your legacy to be? There are a few things. I think we need to make this a, a better industry for women. I think we need to think about our planet more. And as I look ahead, I really think about the impact of the choices we're making with food. Mm. On the planet, so my focus and if it is ultimately a legacy that 's fine uh, is to change the way people are thinking about what we 're eating, make good choices that are good for the planet, but more than that, just to really educate, educate my customers uh my colleagues about the power of talk about one woman, one man, one person mm. uh, you know, we always have said, you know, you vote with your fork. Well, that's a, a, a super powerful thing. So, you know, day to day, I will continue to feed the the privileged and, and most amazing New Yorkers. But my legacy, I hope, will be that I really had some impact on, on what was on many forks and many plates uh, in our
1: city. Thank you. Liz, thank you for coming and being with me in my kitchen. And thanks to all of you for joining me and Liz. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. And if you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. Thank you for listening.
0: This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.